Well, good morning to you all. Uh, my name is Ian Morris, and I'm going to be taking the next uh, 20 minutes, I think. I can just about see the clock at the back wall, and Liz gives me very strict instructions that we need to finish at quarter two. But I'll leave some things for, if you're in a network group, then uh, maybe you can look at some of these things and study them uh, during this week. And uh, we're looking, oh, it hasn't still come up yet, but uh, I guess it will do in a moment. Yeah, it has. Okay. So we're looking today at Paul's first letter to the Thessalonian church. And, uh, but before I say that, I, I thought I'd tell you a little story. I noticed some of our preachers like to tell a little story before uh, the thing starts. And there was this intern at a church, and uh, he was given the opportunity to speak. So it was one of his first speaking engagements. So he got up and spoke and gave it all he could and he prepared so well for it. And then he went back, you know, as people leave the church, and uh, various people came up and shook his hand and uh, thanked him, etc. Then a little old lady came up to him, and uh, she said to him, that was the worst sermon, pastor. So he was a little bit downcast by this anyway, and the various other ones uh, came by, and he was a bit mystified to find the same old lady came up again. And she said... That was definitely the worst sermon ever, pastor. And he was really feeling very low now, and uh, some more people came out, and it seemed okay. And he was amazed that this little old lady still came out again and caught his hand again and said, definitely, pastor, that was really bad. And uh, so he was quite concerned about this, and um, he met with the senior pastor afterwards, and, and the pastor said, well, how did you think it went? And, you know, how they do, and, and, and try to give a bit of advice and support. He said, well, it, I thought it went okay, he said, but this little old lady came up, and uh, she said, uh, you know, several times, I, I was surprised she came up. And the pastor said, oh, he said, oh, don't take any notice of that old lady. She just goes around repeating what everyone else is saying. We felt a lot better after that. Uh, you'll notice that if you've been following our church, even online or whatever, that we've been looking actually at some of the journeys of Paul. And a pastor was talking about Philippi the other week. Uh, was there, you remember the story of the, uh, uh, the, the, that they were put into prison for preaching and the people didn't like it and there was always opposition when there was preaching. So you always expect to get some response and uh, they were thrown in prison, and you know that then um, they were amazingly, they thought, we have a captive audience here in the prison. So they started preaching to them. I'm sure it doesn't quite say that in there, but it does tell us that they were singing, so they had a proper service, and then they were worshipping, praising God, and amazingly, it was an earthquake. I don't know whether there'll be an earthquake here this morning, but uh, I hope that you'll be still alert by the time I've finished. But uh, uh, what you know is there was an earthquake and, and the uh, jailer was amazed to find everybody still there. He gave his life to the Lord. I'm sure there were quite a lot of the people in the jail that gave their lives to Christ as well. Of course, they couldn't join the congregation because they were still in prison, and, uh, but uh, they added to the church. And you know, sometimes the Lord calls all sorts of people most unlikely people, amazing, you think, well, fancy calling some of those prisoners. They probably thought that about Jesus on the cross, you know, when actually one of them turned to him and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He had no time to work out his salvation, 
but immediately was there. And what a wonderful God we have. What a righteous God we have. And when we actually look at it, it's quite amazing. And, uh, but we're going to turn to the first letter to the Thessalonian church uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. Unfortunately, I can't this morning. I got here and realized I didn't put my Bible in my bag. So, uh, and all my notes have gone. So, well, that's a good thing. We're in the hands of the Lord this morning. And... Um, and, uh, but I still keep an eye on the clock. But uh, Paul's first letter to, to, the, to the church, well, it was interestingly, I was like a little map, and I noticed that uh, Steve put one up uh, recently, and of course here is, this is all Turkey, if you've had your holidays along here, you'll know all about it. It's his second missionary journey, and uh, you'll see that actually he comes along here to Philippi, there's Philippi, in Macedonia, it's Greece nowadays, but we call it uh, Macedonia. There's been a big argument between them and uh, a little bit higher up, which is now called North Macedonia. And uh, then you come round the coast a little bit, and uh, they came to Thessalonica. And so it was from that they arrived at Thessalonica. And uh, it was an interesting thing there, because... Uh, unlike uh, Philippi where they were, you'll remember from Steve's message that there wasn't a synagogue there. So they actually met by the river and were talking there to people because that's where they went to pray. You'll remember that you need ten men to have a synagogue. And I think it's still the same rule today, which is very sensible from my point of view. But, uh, uh, but uh, So they did have a synagogue here. So he actually goes to the synagogue and actually preaches there for three weeks. Uh, and of course, the problem was, if, if you uh, turn to Acts and you'll find it, I think it's Acts chapter 17, you'll find the story of when he arrives in Thessalonica, he preaches for three weeks in the synagogue, and uh, unfortunately, some of the Jews in the synagogue took a bit of op- opposition to the whole thing. I can imagine, and this is something for your home groups, have a look at the sort of things that he would have been preaching about in that synagogue. And I'm sure he will have gone right back through from Genesis and shown how Abraham was, uh, uh, God told him he's going to bless all the nations. And then he came up right through into the prophets. And particularly in Isaiah, he must have spent perhaps two weeks on that because there so many prophecies about Jesus Christ and if you go back and I did this week and looked at it it is so encouraging to read that and I'm sure that that's what Paul will have told the people there and shown that he was going to be crucified and he was but he actually rose again and brought new life And I think they quite enjoyed all of that sort of thing. They had all been looking for a Messiah. There were also uh, some Greeks in the, uh, perhaps in the congregation. They hadn't become Jews, but they they were God-fearing people, and they did serve just the one God. And they were glad to hear this good news. And uh, so uh, everything was going so well until perhaps... Paul spoke about that the fact is that also the good gospel news was also for Gentiles, Gentiles, that's us as well. But worse than that, for the Jews, he said the Gentiles don't have to become Jews to be worshipping God. And this caused a bit of a problem, and there was a bit of an uproar, and they create, created problems within the, within the area. And in fact, actually, Paul had to escape the city quite quickly, of Thessalonica. Uh, We're going to uh, uh, 
read that now, and I always think it's quite good that we read the scriptures. Sometimes you do it. So we're going to stand now and read the Bible together. I could see some of you had nearly dropped off already there. You know, you weren't quite sure what was happening. But you can read it up here as well as me. Let's read it then, shall we? Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for you all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. The Lord message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Kakei. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. You may be seated. I think it's great when we read publicly the Word of God. You know, it would be great that we do uh, work with the other churches here, and I think it will be great at some time that we read the whole of the Bible from the beginning to the end as are all the churches together, showing how we trust the Bible as God's Word, and uh, that would be a good thing. Well, I've covered a little bit about... Uh, the, uh, the background already, and uh, I've told you about the, uh, the, the, the synagogue there, and he produced the, presented the good news and uh, went right through to the things. But I think that was the real problem, uh, that the Jews didn't like the fact that, uh, that Paul was saying, well, look, Jews, you can remain as Jews, um, but you don't have to expect that Gentiles have to become Jews to become a Christian. But it's actually just an act of faith. And this was a big challenge to them because that's how they've been brought up from early days and they didn't know really any different at that time. Paul went on actually from Thessalonica. I told you that he actually had to escape the city quite quickly and, um, and this caused some problems, I think, uh, for the people there at the church. But he then went further on and eventually went down to Athens. And you remember he was on Mars Hill 
and he preached a, a great sermon there, a good example for young preachers, isn't it? That he took something from where they were and he saw a, uh, a stone saying to the unknown God. And he actually made, uh, presented to them about Jesus Christ. And, uh, but they were a little bit sceptical, they were very philosophical, and they just liked hearing about new things. And they said, well, we must hear something more about this later. And I think actually Paul was starting to feel really quite despondent by this time. Uh, it's all right, we can look and see what actually happened, but if you'd been in those situations, and mostly whenever he was preaching there was problems, and people didn't like it, and, and things broke out, and there were problems there, I'm sure he felt rather discouraged. He probably felt that everyone was going to accept the good news of Jesus Christ and, uh, and, and his redemption, and, but that wasn't the case. So actually when he received some news from Thessalonica because uh, his, his friends Silas and Timothy arrived, then he was, he was really encouraged. Do you know, I wonder if you ever give encouragement to people. Do you ever give encouragement to the pastor? You know, I bet sometimes most of us will go to the pastor and say, oh, pastor, I just want to mention about this. And you say, oh, and, and pastor, there's just that, you know, I wonder if you could do that. I was at the church once, they said, we haven't had the Lord's Prayer for quite a long time, pastor. Could you do that? And actually, I realized, you know, and particularly having been in leadership in the past, that actually there is a danger within our congregations. We go with lots of uh, complaints and problems and so forth, and we rarely give encouragement. Now, there are quite a lot of teachers in our church although some of them have left on holiday because it's the first week of the summer holidays I hope that God will be with them because having looked at the transport and other things we learnt a long time away my late wife and myself never go away the first week of the school holidays but anyway we will be praying for those people down at Dover and all these other places waiting for planes and hope they'll have a really encouraging time but uh, you know sometimes in schools we recognize that it's important to give encouragement to students really is and that sometimes they're waiting for that and actually we all respond much more when we have encouragement and get encouragement and I think for Paul because of the news he received he was really thrilled about that and most encouraged about it come in don't worry about anything and take a seat somewhere you know it's like typical churches they always fill the back seats and leave the the latecomers or the new people to have to come down the front which is really embarrassing for them I think isn't it <laughs> I think that actually we should probably put a cord across all the back seats and wait till everyone's sat and then remove it so that when people do arrive late, they can come in on there. Okay, so he was thrilled to hear, Paul was thrilled to hear from uh, Timothy and Silas that things were going on in Thessalonica. He was really pleased about that. However, he actually also heard that there were these problems with the Jews and they were a little bit against Paul. And they suggested quite a lot of things. And you can read this in the rest of the letter. It'll probably come out in some of the other messages that come over the next few weeks. People were saying that Paul is a bungler. He messed it all up. He left, left Thessalonica in a mess. Paul is a coward because he ran away quickly, you know, when there were problems there. Actually, he tried to do it to save the church uh, other persecution. Paul is a fanatic, well sometimes people say that. Paul is lecherous towards women. You know, sometimes if you're a single man, you know, people do say all sorts of things about you if you sit next to a lady. And so you have to be very careful. Um, and then Paul is a trickster. You know, there were miracles that were happening, but they said, well, you know, it was just happened by tricks and things. 
And Paul is a flatterer. And Paul is an opportunist. Paul is an idler. And Paul's a dictator. And when you read the whole of this letter, I mean, you'd normally never break a letter up into, into verses and chapters. You'll see that in some ways he tries to respond to some of those things. And we'll hear about those uh, later on. So key points in the letter. First of all, it was encouragement. He wrote to encourage the church. And I think that's a good thing. And I'm sure after this, you'll be finding something encouraging to say to the pastor and uh, also Danny when he comes back from, uh, from camp this coming week. And the message was given with word, deed, and signs. And you know the word is powerful, but actually people are watching us. I know throughout my life, wherever I was in the workplace, people were watching. I didn't need to tell them I was a Christian. They saw the way that you behaved. And they were therefore looking to catch you out. But very often, your message is more powerful when they see what sort of life you're living. And then there are signs as well. And there should be signs. And Paul uh, demonstrated signs through the power of the Holy Spirit. The next thing we find there, the Thessalonians were strong in faith and love, but weaker in the understanding what God would do in the future. So uh, he had had this information back from Timothy and Silas, so in this letter, he's going to respond to those things. But in the first bit, he obviously wants to encourage them and generally outlines what he's going to say within the rest of the, uh, the letter. And I encourage you to read the letter in the week. Now there are three points you'll be pleased to know because I'm told that's what uh, ministers are supposed to do. I don't normally keep to that sort of thing, Steve, but uh, here's one chance when I do. Faith acts turning from darkness to light and it comes from verse 3. We're going to look at that. And love toils to serve Jesus, Lord and King, is the second thing. And then the third, the third one is hope grips. Confident about the future, Jesus coming back to reign, will you be part of this? Those are the three things that he's going to talk about in this letter. And indeed, in subsequent weeks, some of our people here are going to be bringing a message and they're going to highlight that even in more detail. First of all, well, we saw that uh, when we were in Philippi, wasn't it, that uh, the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? It was incredible how the Holy Spirit, you know, convicts us to know that we need to have something. We need to change. And that, that jailer would have been a rough, uh, retired uh, soldier from the Roman Empire. And he knew that if he'd lost any prisons, he would be killed. And that was what the result was. And he could see that that's a miracle. Not only was it an earthquake, it was an America, uh, amazing miracle that all the chains fell off, all the doors opened, yet everybody was still there. What a power the Holy Spirit had over that place. And because Paul and Silas were in that prison. But he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, belief... The trouble is, in our English uh, language, we tend to think, oh yes, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God. And if you ask most people, but perhaps less now than when I was a boy, there are a lot of people who say, yes, I, I believe in God. And it takes a bit more than that, you know, it's a bit of trust. And uh, we need to go on trusting uh, the Lord. Jesus paid the price to forgive us our sins. And sin, you know, sometimes people ask, what, what is sin? You know, is this a sin? Is that a sin? Is that? Well, you know, sin overall is rejecting God for who he is and going our own way. And that's what it actually is. And we've all sinned, the Bible tells us, and fallen short of God's standard. 
And you know, when we come to Jesus, it's an exchange of our lives, our sinful lives, for his perfect life. And accepting Jesus Christ is being born again. An amazing thing that we become new in Christ. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, a life of adventure. And uh, someone had a life of adventure this week in the church, didn't they? Is she here this morning? I can't see her. Maybe she's still recovering, obviously, from it. Where is she? Oh, she's tucked over there. Judith, you look much younger today because she did uh, walked out onto a plane on the wing of a plane. How many people would do that? Huh? Yeah? Amazing. So Judith still likes a life of adventure and danger. And uh, we're really pleased for that. And that's raised money for your uh, charity there. Well, you know that uh, I uh, had my... Uh, when we had our 25th wedding anniversary, actually we had it on the 24th year because my daughter was getting married the next year and uh, my wife needed to be completely dedicated to that wonderful act which he told me was the best day of her life. And I was a little bit disappointed of that, as you might imagine. But uh, I think well, I knew what she meant, that she could really enjoy it, you know, the wedding. But so therefore we decided we would go to Africa. And we wanted to visit some missionaries. We went to Malawi, and uh, I was uh, preaching actually for the week. And then uh, we went to Mozambique to visit some other missionaries. And then at the end we had one week safari... And we were over in Zimbabwe, we got to Victoria Falls. And I'd looked at it beforehand, and because we'd been married for these years, I thought, we need to do something adventurous. And uh, I saw that you could do whitewater rafting. And I read, there is, it is the hardest place to do whitewater rafting in the world, down the Zambezi. And so I thought, yes, we'll do that. So we'd booked. I was a little bit uh, worried, actually, because we went to... Uh, uh, to the night before, and they played the video of what was happening, and I, I hardly slept that night at all, because I thought, what have I let myself into? Well, we went on this, and f- first of all, you go on to calm waters, and, uh, but then it actually gets quite rough. We had an American girl in this boat, and she said very quickly, as soon as she saw the, you know, the rapids coming up, and there are lots of them, and they've got terrible names like demon and uh, gates of hell and things like that. And as you're approaching, you see them. She said, I'm, I want to get out of the boat. I want to get out of the boat. And, we, and, and, and the guide said, you can't get out of the boat. He said, he said there, there are crocodiles. You know, he was hoping to put her off, you know. <laughs> but uh, she said, no, I want to get off the boat. I'm, I'm, no, he said, you can't get off the boat. And we had to go all the way through it. She faced the opposite way while we were down there. I was put in the front of the boat a bit of ballast, and I actually was underwater most of the way, so I didn't really realise what was going on. We got out of the boat, and as we got out, there was a camera, and they were filming what we felt like. And the American girl went before Jennifer and myself, and they said, how was it for you? And she said, it was great. (laughs) I said to Jennifer, typical Americans, you know, on there. But you know, actually, it's like that following Jesus that sometimes following Jesus is going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, but we don't need to jump out of the boat because Jesus is steering the boat, he's there with us, he's in the boat. So when we go through the difficult times, we're going to be fine, it's going to be okay. Okay, I need to move on really quickly because we've almost finished time, but actually I have to come back again to hear some of the other bits. We have new life to serve. We are servants and Jesus is the boss. Have you ever thought about that in your workplace, that actually Jesus is your boss? 
not the one that you don't like very much or whatever. And uh, actually, I think it would make a big, big difference when you come up to whether it's strike action. It certainly was for me over the years, and uh, because it, it was him. I remember another little story, briefly, that we had someone come to our church for membership. And uh, they interviewed them, and as they do, they said, what sort of things have you done before? And she'd been in another church. She said, I did the communion every week. And they said, how long did you do that for? She said, 20 years. They said, 20 years? They said, didn't you have a gap or anything? She said, I counted it a privilege to prepare that communion for the Lord. We were in a church where we had rotors, and we'd never heard of someone doing it like before. That's dedication, and that's love, isn't it? I wonder if you can serve the Lord in that way as well. I'm going to move on because uh, uh, time really is gone. It's amazing for me. I normally speak for a couple of hours, though, uh, you know. (laughs) But obviously the church can't actually cope with that sort of thing. And uh, I leave those things up for you, but I wonder if you're willing to take the risk and faith to serve him. Well, we come down to the last point about hope grips. And sometimes the word hope is a bit woolly. You know, we think, oh, well, I hope it will be all right. I hope hope it's going to work out. But actually this word, I'm sure if I'd studied Greek like... uh, Uh, Steve and some of the other ones here in Latin, I'd be able to tell you about that word, that it's actually about real confidence. It is about getting in the boat and sticking in the boat with Jesus all the way through. And it's taking that step of faith. Do you know the wonderful thing is with the Bible, the Bible contains 735 different predictions about the future. Did you know that? I mean, you may look at Nostradamus and some of these other things and everyone puts it in the newspapers, but the Bible, that's what it's got. It's actually 596 of those things have come true. That's 81%. I'd rather trust the Bible than Nostradamus or any of the other people or even turn to the stars, which I think is rejecting what God says in the Bible, and uh, it's better to trust him. And that's, uh, there's only 19% to be completed yet. 20 to be fulfilled before Jesus' return. We're actually in the last days. In fact, Paul said we were in the last days uh, because after Jesus died, that was the end of God's plan. But now he was offering for people to come to know him because Jesus is coming back. And you know, I know that if I, I die before he comes back, I should go to heaven. But heaven is just the waiting place because Jesus is coming back onto this earth. And I want to be part of that. I was thinking the other day, what would I like to do uh, in, when I come back to help the Lord? And I thought, actually, I'd love to pick, be picking up some of the old rubbish and litter and plastic, you know, from, from nature places. I do love nature. And I thought, that would be a lovely job. And perhaps the Lord would give me a black bag and I can go around picking the things up. And I look at it after and think, how lovely that is. But you know, we need to be preparing for that because... Jesus is going to be here. The fact is we tried every other sort of government, but actually Jesus is going to come back and show you what true government is. And it's a theocracy, it's not a democracy. And we can trust God for that. I wonder if you're going to be there. Are you uh, made your life and committed it to Jesus Christ? You know, you can even do it this morning. We always have a little prayer time at the end, and you can come out and speak to someone and pray with them. I tell you, some people said to me when I came to this church, you live an adventurous life, Ian. I said to them, it's been adventurous ever since I gave my life to the Lord. I never know what's going to happen. There's been some tough times, there's some difficult times, but there's some wonderful times as well. 
I never imagined I would travel like I do. I never imagined that I'd do the job I do. And I realize I'm totally inequipped for it. But I thank God that he chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And therefore, you know, when trusting God, he knows he created you. He has the best plan for you. And all you need is to trust him. And then you'll be fulfilled all the way. It doesn't matter if you've only got a few years. Remember, the thief on the cross, he was dying. He didn't have any time to serve the Lord. But we do. There is still a little bit of time left before he comes back. I wonder if you'll do it this morning. Amen.